You're listening to Mental Selling, the sales performance podcast, a show from Integrity Solutions. This is a podcast for passionate leaders in sales and customer service who are driven by purpose, not just a paycheck. People who want to create broader and deeper connections with customers and their teams by building trust and mastering the critical mental and emotional sides of sales. You're about to hear a conversation from sales leaders and industry experts about what it takes to translate sales knowledge into sales performance, how to change the sales conversation by putting the focus on building relationships and adding value, removing the blockers that keep salespeople from reaching their potential, creating an inspiring learning environment and coaching culture, and ultimately increasing sales achievement and improving customer loyalty. Ready to rise up to the top of your game? Let's get right into the show. Salespeople are looking ahead to 2023, but are they giving enough focused time and attention to goal setting and what's actually possible for them? And what's the impact on sales performance when salespeople really take ownership of goal setting and give it the attention it deserves? That's the focus for this episode of Mental Selling, your favorite sales podcast. I'm Will Milano with Integrity Solutions, and thank you again for joining us. This is our last episode of 2022, and for it, I decided to bring back Mike Fisher, who was actually our very first guest. Mike, thanks so much for coming back again. Well, I appreciate you having me. It's an honor to get to do it twice. Of course. It's uh, it's great to finish the first full year of mental selling, the Mental Selling Podcast with the person that actually helped it begin. For listeners, if you've not heard that episode I did with Mike, that's episode 24 called The Power of Reframing uncovering the hidden salesperson, please take time later to go and listen to that. And Mike has also been the guest before on on a couple of episode 23 uh, and episode 12. And I would point out that episode 12, which is called the selling skill that will better connect you with customers, also happens to still remain our most listened to episode ever. Wow, no pressure. Don't mess this up. I know. Well, we'll see if you can beat it with this one, right? Yeah, that's right. We'll talk about negative thinking. And that was a negative thought. So let's get into it, Mike. Whether so whether it's kicking off a new year or maybe even, you know, a salesperson who's starting a new position, why is it important for salespeople to allocate proper time for goal setting versus just sort of like, well, I'll I'll do X percentage more than I did last year and and leaving it at that? I think there's a difference in when you're setting goals and and writing them down and having a plan versus just having an idea in your head, honestly. And I think if you have an idea in your head, okay, next year, I'll just try to improve 20%. Well, that's pretty weak, honestly. I mean, I, th- I think you've got to take action to to those. There, there's a difference in ideas or and goals. And I think when you have a goal, I was listening to a podcast recently, and one of the things that I thought really stuck out for me, what the guy said was, he said, when you, when you have a goal and you've got to take action immediately. In other words, if I'm going to start, lose 10 pounds, then tomorrow I've got to go to the gym. I've, I've got to start right now. And and I think that, that one of the, the biggest differences is you, when you start to take action, that's when it becomes real. And, and because you're now, it's not that you're sacrificing, but you're putting forth effort. And if you're putting forth effort, then you're buying in. If you're not putting forth effort, then it's just a, an idea or something that you're thinking about. I try to take time. It's this time of year when you get into to, to December of each year, when I try to really look at and, and write down goals and, and, and take some time and do that. And it's interesting. I, I was just looking recently at it. I have this, it's like a four or five page simple goal outline that I try to go, okay, what do you, what do you want to do this next year and write them down? And what do you want to, what do you want in in this area and this area and this area of your life? And it's not just sales related, but I try to think about, I'm a big fan of personal goals as well as business goals, because 
I think people that have a personal goal tend to be a little more, uh, if they're productive outside of work, you're more productive at work. But you got to write those things down. And we can, I, I want to get into that a little bit because I think writing goals is, is such an important part of helping us to hit those goals. You feel more productive. You feel more confident when you hit those goals. But the big piece of that is, is you've got to sit down and actually write those, put the effort and the time. And I don't think most people do this. I think honestly, people spend more time planning a vacation than they do writing their goals out for their career for the year. You know, I think sitting down and writing them is, is, and, and I'll, I'll dive into this for a second, but I, I think something that's, that's really important about that is what's, what's going on when you write them down. And, and, and I read an article that said you're 28% more likely to hit your goals if you write them down, even if versus typing them out. And what the study said was that, because it, it, it gets kind of curious, why, why is that? What they, they've learned is that when you write your goals down, you're activating the creative mechanisms, the creative side of your brain, as well as the logical side. And once that creative side starts getting plugged in, now there's some subliminal things that are happening. And, and you're, you're, you're not just writing it down on paper, but it starts to work for you. Ron Willingham used to always talk about you're, you're activating your goal-seeking mechanism when you do that. Well, studies have shown, and, and I don't think Ron knew all these terms, but studies that I've read recently start talking about that's your reticular activators. And your reticular activators are basically a filter that kind of filter out a lot of the things that you don't want and let in the things you do want. And what I mean by that is, let me give you an example. Let's say today that you decided to buy a, I'm going to buy a new four-door Jeep. That's what I, I like those. I think I'm going to get one of those. When you go outside and go grab lunch or you go out and start driving around, what is it you start seeing a lot of? four-door Jeeps. Now, they were always there. There's not like they all suddenly appeared, but your brain started filtering in now and letting in things that you're wanting to see. So it might be on the four lanes over going the opposite direction. You turn and go, oh, wow, that's a, that's a, I love the rims on that one. You know, but all of a sudden you start seeing these things. And so when you start putting goals on and, and writing them down and having a plan, you start to activate those goal-seeking mechanism, reticular activators, if you will, to, to now you filter in and see things that you might not have seen before, or you hear conversations and opportunities with customers that you really would not have, may not have paid attention to. And, and all of a sudden, it's like, I'm going to, if there's this part of my business, I'm going to increase this. And this part of my business, I'm going to get to this level. All of a sudden now, there's conversations when you're in front of a customer or a prospect that things you might not have paid a lot of attention to when they say something, it triggers something and you ask a follow-up question and maybe there's an opportunity there that, that starts something. And otherwise I wouldn't have ever thought of that. And, and it really comes from, it stems from making a plan and writing down what is my goal this year, rather than just, as you said a minute ago, saying, I just want to increase 20%. Honestly, that's not even a plan. That's just a, it's a number, but it's not a plan. It's mailing it in. Two things. It helps you make sure that you're not doing activity for activity's sake you know what you're doing that activity and service of, right? And then the other thing is sort of the, the filtering thing, like with the Jeep example, you're not only filtering in what's important to you, but it helps you filter out what may be part of the goal setting is what do I need to stop doing, right? I, I like to do a lot of annual planning of like, what am I starting? Start, stop, continue, right? 100%. It exactly is what's going on. It filters out a lot of that noise too, because when you start to write down plans and goals of what you want to do, I also like you talk about start, stop, continue. What do I need to stop doing? I think that's a big part of goal setting as well. And it's, you know, I need to stop wasting time. Have you, I don't know if you've ever read the book Atomic Habits, but it's a phenomenal book about just basically the, all those things that we're talking about, reticular activators, but creating small habits. And one of the things he talks about is he gets kind of extreme with it, but he's, he talks about, he said, you know, when I really needed to focus to write this book. One of the things I had to get rid of was my my wasting of time when I'm in, in social media and other things. And he said, so on Mondays, I would take my phone, 
I would give it to my assistant and I would make her change the passwords on all of my device so that I couldn't go into Twitter. I couldn't go to social media and I couldn't get those back until Friday. So during the week, I had to focus on writing the, the book and then I would get it back and I would be able to have it for the weekend. And then Monday I'd give it back to her and she'd change all the work passwords and we'd do it again. And he said, but because of that, now that's extreme, but when you really are committed to what it is that you want to do, sometimes you got to make some, some sacrifices or, or some, some extreme things that you have to do and to make that change. Anyway, I, th I thought that was an interesting, because he had a plan. Yeah, it, help, it helps you with time prioritization, right? Like I, I listened to a podcast actually over the weekend with someone who I'm, I'm going to interview soon. And one of the things he talked about, about, about actively managing your time by minutes, and he used the example of like, well, people will say they can't read a book for three or four minutes in line at the grocery store, but they will sit there and scroll through Twitter, right? So what's important to you? And the other thing that you that you said, I think applies to the sort of the, the start and stop thing is like the, the weight loss or the fitness example, which is there are a lot of things if you want to lose 10 pounds that you need to do, but what do you need to stop doing too, right? Same thing applies. It's funny because, and I'll tie, I'll take that example a little a step further and, and tie it, we'll tie it into what we're, we're talking about, the goal setting, but I'm a Tennessee guy, so it's hard for me to quote a lot of Nick Saban, but I really respect what he does. He's a winner. And the guy has a lot of good philosophies. And he talks about three different things. And he said, you know, what does it take to succeed? And he talks about there's three areas that he that he shares. One is you got to have a vision or a, or a purpose, if you were a mindset, the mindset of what's my vision of what I want to accomplish. Second is I, I got to find a process of how to do that. Now, process is usually easy to the, let's go to the weight loss. If you want to lose 20 pounds, if that's my goal, I can find a million process. I can fast. I can go to Jenny Craig. I can go, whatever it is. I can go somewhere and find, there's a million ways to lose weight. That's not the problem. The problem is the last one. And it's, do I have the discipline to do the things to, that I need to do? And he said, the challenge is what is discipline? Well, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I don't feel like doing it. Can I make myself do those things? And then I know what I'm not supposed to do, but I, I want to do those. Can I make myself not do it in the discipline? And I think that's the thing that, that the goal allows us to do because we've we've all kind of if we've been around integrity selling at all we we certainly know the three dimensions and we talk about how William James was a Harvard psychologist 100 years ago that said when intellect and emotion are in conflict emotion rules the day now let me define that in sales in sales that means i know what i'm supposed to do but i don't feel like doing it today <laughs> right emotion takes over you know and so the thing that he talks about is you've got to have that goal that's bigger than that pain and oftentimes unfortunately we have to kind of have it a, a year or something that we got, we struggled, we lost a sale or we didn't have a good month or whatever it is to make me go, okay, I'm not doing that again. And that's going to make me stay disciplined to the, the process in order to hit that goal. And I, I think that's a, another big piece of goal setting is exactly that. The reason we write them down, we go through that is that it allows us to make better choices when we can waste time. And it relates to something we'll get into in, in a little bit, which is around making sure goal setting is something that you've helped create and buy into versus something that's handed down from you from on high. Because if a goal is just handed to you, you're, you're not going to be as, as bought into it and committed to doing those things around discipline. But before we get into that, so you, you work with a lot of salespeople and sales teams. Where do you, in this context around goal setting and, and you know spending the time and diligence to do it, where do you think salespeople usually tend to cut corners? And when they do, what, what's the related risks? You know, it's a good question. I, I think, it, honestly, I think cutting corners, one one is they don't write them down. They they have goals that they just don't flat write down. That's a cutting corner to me. So I have intentions, but I don't write it down. So that's that's probably one of the biggest things I would say if there's an area that we cut corners. 
I think if, if I were to look at others is I don't think we challenge ourselves enough. I think a lot of entrepreneurs understand what I mean by that because they, we step in and if I'm an entrepreneur, you know, it's, it's for you and, and your answer, you got to answer to you. So there's not a lot of cutting corners. I can't tell you the number of times I've been in this office when it's dark in the morning and dark at night, you know, and it's like, and, and if I were working for someone else, I don't quite, you kind of get comfortable sometimes. So I think that, that having a goal and, and purpose, and I guess I'll tie it into this because this now that it's, it's coming to as we say this, but I think you have to have a why. When I think about cutting corners, when you set your goals, one of the things that's going to be really, really important to you is that you've got a why and why is this important to you? And if you just have a number to say, okay, I need to, I want to hit this number. I want to make this amount of money. What's the money for? Let's dig deeper. Why? Why do you need that money? Well, I want to build a house or I want to put my kids in college or I want to buy a boat or I want to whatever. What is the real why that you want to do the thing that you're doing? And once you figure that out, then it's like, okay, that's a, that's a good example. As a matter of fact, I heard a, I heard a guy the other day talking about this and I thought that he gave a great example. He said, you know, he was setting goals with a guy and he said, okay, I want to, I want to hit it. I want to hit my million dollar number or whatever. And he said, why do you want to hit that? Cause that's my quota. Okay. But why is that important to you? So what big deal? And he said, okay, well I hit the quota, but then I, then I get the recognition. Okay. So what, what about that? And what's, why is that important? Well, then I make more money. Okay. Why? And the guy starts to get frustrated going, look, why are you asking me all these questions? And he kept digging and he said, well, tell me why that, that you want to make the money. And he said, well, and the guy started to kind of get emotional. And he said, I want to, I want to put a pool in the backyard. And he's like, ah, that sounds important. Tell me why. Well, I travel a lot and I want to spend more time with my kids. But usually when I come home, we have a friend in the neighborhood that has a pool and they're over at their house at the pool. And I want to put a pool at our house so that when I come home, my kids want to spend time at our pool. Aha. Now there's a why. When you have that why, do you think he's going to get up in the morning because he wants to make that, you know, because he wants to hit his quota or because he wants to spend more time with his kids? Total different why. What should salespeople be thinking about relative to the year they've just had for good and, and the bad that can feed into, you know, creating and setting their goals for the following year? It's almost if, I, this will sound weird, but if you had a bad year, I think you're more motivated to set a goal than if you had a good year. If you had a good year, I think sometimes people are afraid. I think you, sometimes like I'm coming off my best year ever, best year ever. And if I'm not careful, you can get paralyzed and get scared because now I have to, they're going to ask me to do, because they are, they're going to ask me to do this much more. I want to do this much more. If I'm, if I'm working for a company and I'm going to have a 20% increase or whatever, oh, I don't know how I'm going to do that. So if you've had a good year and you're kind of freaking out a little bit, I think you need to step back and go, okay, look, what are the things, the activities that I've been doing that have been helping me to have my best year ever? Well, then focus on the activity, not the result, not the end. If you'll focus on doing those fundamental activities that you're doing, is it my, is it my number of dials I'm making, the calls I'm making, the referrals I'm getting? What are you doing fundamentally that's causing you to have that success? Now, if I'm a manager, I'll throw this back to a manager's perspective too. If I'm a manager and I've got a, someone who's doing very well and they're coming off, I want to let them tell me what that thing is. What are the things that you're doing you think that are causing you to have such a good year? Let's write them down. Now, when they tell me those things, they're selling themselves on those, those as they tell me, they're buying into those things. And I want to get back to those fundamentals. So if I'm having a great year and coming out of here, I want to, I want to have, okay, why can't I have another great year? Let me give you a mindset perspective on that. I, I can remember a kid that lived across the street from me when, when I lived my first house and he was probably 15, 16 years old. I would play basketball with him every night. He'd come over to the house and we'd play ball. And I can remember one time he told me, I'm going to, I'm going to, when my first house is going to be over in, and we had a neighborhood that was really nice outside of Charlotte called Ballantyne. He said, I'm going to live in one of those houses, my first house. And I'm like, really <laughs> good for you. You know, that kind of thing. And he's a kid. 
And then uh, I talked to him later. He was probably 30 years old and we started talking and he happened to live in a million dollar house and, and ran an $80 million company at 30. And I said to him, did you remember, you remember telling me that when we were six, you're about 15, 16. And he said, I do. I remember that. And I said, what made you think that you could live in that house when you were 14, 15? And he said, somebody has to live in it. Why couldn't it be me? And I thought, what a healthy mindset. So if you're having a great year, why not go have a great year? Don't hold yourself back. Don't have limiting beliefs. If you had a tough year, then what were the things you weren't doing that you, now you get a restart. Good. You get to start over. And for some reason it's magical. I get to start a new year. So when we start that new year, what are we going to do different so that you don't come into this year feeling that way? Now, let me give you a great exercise around that. This came from James Clear at Atomic Habits. He said, I want you to write your, your goal out. And then I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to go six months, eight months out. And I want you to imagine that you didn't hit your goal. Now, what caused you not to hit it? And think about that. Now, back up to the present. And what are the things you're going to do to avoid the potholes that held you back from hitting that goals and how we can make that happen? I like that exercise. I think that's a good goal setting exercise to help us anticipate objections and then do the activities to make sure they, they don't hold us back. Because part of the goal setting has got to be not just that sort of end game, but part of what you're writing down has to be all those sort of step things on a week to week, month to month basis. They're going to get you there, right? It doesn't help to just write it. Well, I want to you know, do X 12 months from now, you've got to write down all the things that are going to lead up to it. And I think, like you said, regardless of if you're having a coming off a really good year or poor year or somewhere in the middle, it's about both, right? It's about writing down and, and reflecting on what are the things, the activities, the behaviors that I did well, as well as what are the things that held me back or I spent too much time on, you know, that sort of thing, right? I think what happens too, Will, is, is honestly, you get stuck in, are you focused on the goal or are you focused on the circumstances? And I think when you have obstacles that get in the way and things that kind of hold us back, it's real easy and it's human nature to step back and go, uh, you know, I couldn't do it because of this, or I, it was, you know, I couldn't go run because it was raining or snowing or something. You know what I mean? There's a lot of things you can, you can get into, but if you're focused on the, the goal, not the circumstances, now I'm going to do the things that I need to do. I know I'm Mr. Storyteller today, but my son races motocross and we had a, a specific example of this one time. And this was a year and a half ago, about uh, two years ago, we were trying to go to nationals at motocross and we were at a race area qualifier. And I can remember the, the started raining and the bottom fell out and he starts going, Oh no, I hate the rain. You know, I know oh, this track maintenance is terrible. They don't ever take care of the track when it rains and they don't have the equipment and blah, blah, blah. Every excuse you can think of. So he was focused on the circumstances. Now, another kid, I remember he pulled up in his in his van and he couldn't come to practice early that morning because he had to work. He got off work, came in an hour before the race. He hopped out of his van and he went out and he actually won the moto. He raced the moto, went out, won the moto, finished first and, and did really, really well. Now, it's interesting because that same kid went on to regionals and he finished first and he went on to the top 40 in the country to nationals and he finished first. Now, the year before that, I found out he had broken his femur and he didn't get to race the previous year. He was hungry. When he came out, he was focused not on the rain. He was focused on winning the race. And so his focus was on what I'm going to do, got to do to get here. Okay, well, these are the cards I've been dealt. So this is what I'm going to do. Now, as a salesperson, you always get handed situations. Things are going to change all the time. I have to have the attitude of, okay, well, this is the card I've been dealt. And how's this story going to end when I get to tell them what I had to overcome to get here? That's the, the thing I have to, to go to take it. Now, Will, to finish the story, my son finished that year. The top 42 in the country go to nationals. You know what number we were? 43. Didn't get to go. So we were the first alternate. That burned. Last year, 
we did the same series to go to try to get to nationals and we made it to nationals. And there were times he would text me the message. He would say 43, he'd send me that message. <laughs> so it burned. And so what we have to, the lens you have to look through is to stay, say, you know, mistakes you make sometimes, they're not there to set you back. Mistakes we make are often there to teach you lessons. And so if you can see setbacks as opportunities and go, okay, what am I going to learn from this? That emotional intelligence, it doesn't set you back as much, but sometimes it either A, fuels your fire, or B, it teaches you lessons. And you have to have, you have to be able to look through that lens to, to learn from those situations that sometimes, you know, that, that goal I didn't hit, well, it wasn't my time yet. And now I know some things I didn't know last year. Well, and that, and that focus on the, the, the goals versus the circumstances and, you know, the sales con or one of the sales contexts of that can be broader economic conditions, right? We're in a weird economy that nobody really knows where it's headed six, nine months from now. But are you going to focus on on that and what's going to get in your way or are you going to sort of deal with it, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Am I going to figure out a way to solve a problem? Or, okay, well, that way didn't work. What else can we do? What else can we do? Or am I going to sit back and go, that way didn't work. So, you know, I guess we're just kind of a bad year. So this relates to the next question I wanted to ask, which is around account planning. And, you know, one of the previous podcast episodes we did a couple of months ago um, with someone named Jamie Shanks, he talked about how, from his perspective, salespeople don't spend nearly enough time sitting down and really being diligent about account planning, really figuring out who your target customers are, who you can help, and why. How do you think account planning, that aspect of it, figures into, into things? I think that's 100% right. People don't. I don't think they do. I think we go through the motions and we show up. Sometimes. We just go through and here's what I'm, I'm going to go through. And I think it's, it's, I think of a particular company I work with, they have 23 areas that they focus on. These are the 23 things that we want to focus on this year to help us to, to have a great year. And so what that does is when you have those 23 areas, you can look at your numbers and go, where are my opportunities? In other words, last year, what, what are the areas that are products that I didn't show very much of or sell very much of that I have opportunities? In other words, where am I going to get that increase that I'm going to try to get this year? Where does that come from? When you break that down and really look at it and understand, okay, I've got this where I can look at my, my customers. Are there places that I miss that there's opportunities there? I can look at my products that I don't do very much in here. So there might be some opportunities there. When you start to do those things, what's going on is goal clarity releases achievement drive. So if we think about that statement, goal clarity releases achievement drive. If I'm a manager and I sit down with my people and my team and I'm walking through, typically they don't write down their goals and they, so we have to help them get through those things. So if I can ask them, come to me and let's look at what our plan is to hit that number. Bring to me a plan and let's walk through it and see what we think we can do. That usually is a very energizing meeting for that salesperson because goal clarity releases achievement drive. Now, I'm not there to beat them up and tell them their plan. You mentioned a minute ago and we can get into this. I didn't give them the plan. I'm letting them come up with it. So when they tell me what their plan is and we walk through and maybe we tweak it and that's where by coaching, I'm a little bit, I can tweak things and say, okay, I think, let's think about this. What do you think about this? Would this get us there? What obstacles do you foresee? When they walk out of that meeting, now they've got a plan. And when people have a plan, it gives them confidence. Goal clarity releases achievement drive. When it gives them a, that confidence, now my role as a leader is to hold them accountable to those, those things, those, those little pieces. So what are we going to work on first? All right, let's just focus on the one area. Don't worry about the big elephant. Let's take the one bite and let's focus on the one thing that we need to do. Great job, recognition, way to go. Now let's go to the next thing. And so taking the, the time to, to, to really think about what is the plan? How am I going to get there? Where's it going to come from? Who's my referral sources? All those little things. When you take the time to really think about that stuff, you know what? It differentiates you. That's what the great ones do. That's, that's what great people that have success 
they're doing those fundamental things very, very well. There's a lot of, a lot of magic to the, to the people that are doing really well, but they're doing the fundamentals very well. There was a, a recent podcast. Again, I'm a podcast guy right now, but I, there was one on Kobe Bryant. And this guy was a, was a psychology guy that was working with, with Kobe Bryant. And everybody, if you know Kobe Bryant, you know a little bit about his story is his big thing was his unfair advantage was he would have a 4 a.m. to 6 a.m. workout before anybody else came to the gym. And he did that every diligently every single day because he felt like if I can do that one day or one week, I don't have much of an advantage. But if I'm doing that for a month or a six weeks or a year, now look at the number of hours I have an additional that I've done in a, more than other, any other people. And the guy went and watched the, the workout and he said, you know, he's doing high school drills. These aren't anything. They're foot drills. They're little things that, that, that others are doing, fundamental skills. And he asked him that afterwards, Kobe, the workout, I, I, <laughs> I'm surprised you were doing the fundamental skills. And he said, he looked up, he said, he wiped the sweat off his face. And he said, it's those fundamental skills that make me the best in the world. And that's sometimes we have to, don't complicate it. Am I doing the fun? Am I calling, making phone dials? Am I going to drop in on people and making a cold call? Am I asking questions when I'm sometimes afraid to ask? Do I put a pre-call plan together? Those are fundamental skills that make a big difference. And doing it consistently, right? Not dropping in and being like, I'm going to do prospecting for an hour today, but then not do it again for three weeks. Or I got my, I got the door slammed on. So that didn't work. I'll never do it again. So now I, now it's convenient for me to make that excuse versus saying, okay, well then what would I change to make that work? Or you know what? I couldn't have changed it anyway. It wasn't me. It was the person I saw. We've alluded to this a little bit. So let's get in, into it now, which is, so why is it important for salespeople to set their own goals or at least propose them with some, some real you know detailed thought and diligence in the first places versus just having them set for them by their manager? Because some people will make the argument of like, well, the sales leaders, they're the ones that are looking across the, the company and across the landscape. And aren't they better suited to setting goals for individual people on their team? What would you say to that? I just think you take, yeah, I mean, I think when you write down your own goals, it's, there's more ownership. I can sit across from my manager and they can give me a goal all day long and I'm going to give them lip service and go, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And I'm going to get up and walk out and go, that's not going to happen. And then I'm going to actually tell myself it's not going to happen and why it can't happen. <laughs> and as I'm going through that, I'm just basically speaking to my internal, you know, those reticular activators, tell them it's, it can't happen. And therefore, I'm really even setting you know, negative precedent against myself. I think when you once you start writing those things down, now you 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 take ownership. And as a leader, I think your job should be to, to, to have them write those things down and, and come to you with that goal and to tell you, how they're going to get there and what's their path to get there. Now you can tweak it and make little adjustments and say, okay, what if we do this? What if we do that? But it has to be their goal and they've got to take ownership. And I've got to ask them, all right, I like the plan. I like the goal. Why is it, why is this important to you? And I want to understand their goals. I'm, I know I'm taking this to a leadership side a little bit, but I want to, I, I want you to write it down and you need to have your own why. And maybe you don't share it with anyone. Maybe you've got your own thing that's, that's for you and you write it down, but you have to take ownership. And the only way you take ownership is to put the time in. Otherwise, it's just an idea. And so all that stuff we talked about, reticular activators and doing those things, once you write those things down, that's what that's what you're you're programming yourself to do. So that to me, I think no no brainer. You have to write those things down and they have to they have to take the time. And when I've not done it, I've kind of I teach this stuff a lot and and I'm kind of fraudulent if I stand in front of a group and try to tell them to write their goals and I haven't done it. So I make myself do it and it's amazing how it, it uh, has helped me. I, I've got it in my wallet. I literally have for proof. Here's my wallet. And here's a, three, here's a three by five card in my wallet that has, first off, I write them on the outside there. And then there's my goals written on a piece of paper that I can look at. Sometimes if I'm grabbing a quick bite to eat or something, I can pull that out and look at it. Now, here's the thing I'll tell you. 
I just hit my goal in November earlier this year for the year. And, and it's not by accident. It's, it's because I looked at it pretty regularly and made sure I wanted to hit that goal. And so things kind of started happening and opportunities came out, like we've talked about, that I maybe saw some things or heard some things or I got a phone call. It's amazing when you have a plan, how sometimes it's like somebody will call and say, hey, um, need some help. You know, that I was thinking about you. Or, Could you help us? And you're going, where did that come from? And, and it's just, I don't know. I think you, when you have a plan and you're putting things together, you just see and hear things different. A goal, can, goal setting can also not be static, right? Like they can be adjusted somewhat during the year. I think you need to, good or bad. I, I mean, if you if if you hit your goal early, then you go, okay, then what do I need? Can I? What can we do? If I didn't hit my, if we need to adjust for some circumstances and I need to make an adjustment, it certainly can be adjusted. Yeah, which is an, another reason to just like you said, make it visible so that you can refer back to it and think about it in context of like, well, what's changed in the last you know whatever ninety days or you know whatever it might be that might cause them to you know make some some changes to that. And I, I think something that we, we need to hit on too here is you need to look at them fairly regularly. So do some things that like the Atomic Habits guy talked about that maybe are a little more radical. Take a piece of paper and put them in your closet so that when you're getting dressed in the morning, you're looking at those things. And it's fun to tear that piece of paper up and, and have to rewrite it because I put a new goal on there. Or take a dry erase marker and write it on your mirror. And when you're brushing your teeth in the morning, you know, it's like, there it is. I, I've got my goal that I want to hit and I see it every single day. Things like that. Yeah. Is it radical? Yeah. But I've had them on my mirror and before and had people come over to my house and, and say, what is that on your mirror? I was envisioning that myself before you said it, which is, you know, maybe like on the inside of your, you know, your bathroom mirror or something like that. I see people that have them on a three by five card in their car. So every day when they get in the morning, they see it and that kind of thing. And yeah, it sounds hokey and it is sounds weird. But I tell you what, when you hit them, when you're hitting those goals, there's a different confidence that you have when you're when you have a purpose. So you got to be willing. I'll go back to James Clear on the, on the habits. He talked about how, how people say, I, you know, I, I got to stop watching so much television. I got to read more books. Yet you go back and look at your house and every chair in your house is pointing at a television. And it's like, all right, well, then you got to change your, your circumstances around you to help you to hit those things. And, and so, you know, put a book on the TV, on the, the turn the chair around or something. And you do some of those things. And I think sometimes we have to do that goals wise to go, OK, this year is the year I'm going to do it. I'm going to lose the weight or I'm going to hit the goal or I'm going to do whatever I'm doing. So, all right, well, then how are you going to change your habits to make you do those little things? And I, I love when you do that only because I've, I've experienced it. And when I've experienced it, there's a different confidence that comes when I'm doing things that are some, some maybe are sacrifices or they're, they're things that, that maybe others aren't doing. So there's an old saying, successful people are basically, they do things that unsuccessful people aren't willing to do. And what are those things? Well, simple stuff. It's writing goals. It's, it's, it's doing the little things that nobody else wants to do. But you form the habit of doing it, and then it, it, it's almost like you embrace it, and then I feel great. I've lost the weight. I've, I've hit the goal. I've done the, the thing, whatever it is. And another reason to refer back to it is sort of like to your example, like, okay, if your goal is, you know, I want to watch TV less and, and read more, that's a great goal. But it's also sort of vague, right? Like you've got to also, you can have that as a goal, but you've got to break it down, right? And say, well, part of that's going to be I'm going to watch no more than one hour of TV a day, or I'm going to make sure I'm reading 25 pages a day, you know, whatever that number might be on a daily or weekly basis, right? You've got to break it down. And that goes back to, again, why you've got to have it visible and keep looking back at it. A hundred percent. And, and you, we, we teach a lot of smart goals, you know, they're specific like that. They're specific, measurable, attainable, relative and time bound. And when we think about time bound, that to me of the smart goaling goal system, the T and time bound to me is probably the most important. And, and it ties it back to by, like you just said, they've got to be specific by this date, I will do these things. 
And, and when you have a specific time bound that creates some urgency to get that thing done. I was doing a, a coaching session with a, a group and, and one of the guys said he had somebody on his team and she, he was talking, we talked about this specific thing. And he said, she was going to, uh, she had a couple of things written down she was going to do. And he said, okay, when are you going to do that? What's your timeline? He said, I think I'm going to do, she's going to do it. I said, I'll do it in about six weeks. And he said, why are you waiting six weeks? She said, I don't know. And he said, why don't we do it this week? And she said, okay, I'll see if I can do it this week. He said, literally within a week, she did three of those things, got them all knocked out, came back and she, and he was like, it's amazing that why, why were we about to wait six weeks to do those things when now they're going to really impact your year because she went and called on the people she was called on and, and had good appointments, you know, and, and it's, it's funny how that worked out. And it's, I think sometimes it's fear that I just want to put that off because I, I, I'm in creative avoidance mode and I want to creatively do other things where the reality is sometimes we just have to do it, just do it and make it happen. It requires more work and more thought, which is, you know, the whole focus of what we're talking about is you've got to spend the time doing it now and, and regularly, because whether it's a sales goal, like I want to sell a million dollars next year, or it's a personal, like I want to lose 30 pounds next year. If you don't break it down, you can be six months into the year and that's still your goal, but then you haven't done anything toward it. And you can convince yourself, right? That, well, I still have time. And you, and you really probably don't. Let's, let's dive into that a little bit though, because here's what's happening. Let's say that I've got a, this 30 pounds or 10 pounds or whatever I want to lose. And I today, I didn't stop at my fast food, favorite fast food breakfast that I always get every single morning. Today, I decided, you know what? For today, I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to get a, a, a something else. I'm going to eat healthy today. Does that change my body? Did I lose any weight today? No, I didn't. But let's talk about the real reason you do it. When you, when you say no to that, you just put your a mental vote for, cast a vote for who the person you want to become. And there's something... In, there's something inside that happens that that when you do that that you sacrificed a little bit. So now I'm now I'm I'm becoming that person. And here's the thing, I, I get fake it till you make it. I understand that, and I don't think that's terrible when you fake it till you make it. But I think that there's if you don't back that up with a little bit of I did this. To, so in other words, a little bit of factual things that that happen. It's kind of delusional if I'm not really doing those things, right? And so when you do those things and I say, I, I, I skipped breakfast this morning because I, I want to start losing that weight and I need to do those those habits. Or in other words, I'm going to get the 200 calorie meal versus the full meal. I'll just do the, the, the thing. It doesn't change me today, but if I do it for a week and I do it for a month, for six weeks, all of a sudden things start to change. But I think more importantly, mentally, you cast a vote for that person you want to become by doing those little things. There's a lot of power in that. And so I, I think that uh, you hit on something there that's really, really powerful when you're trying to hit your goals. Yeah, I like, I like to say like in, in, in marketing, in my role, that the sum is typically greater than the individual parts. And I think the same thing applies here, that each individual action is not necessarily measurable, but altogether and on a consistent basis, it's going, it's going to add up. A hundred percent. If I read a couple of pages tonight for five minutes tonight before I go to bed, does that make me a reader? Well, I'm doing the things that readers do. So for five minutes, does that make me super smart? No, but you're right. If I did it for a year or five years, there's a lot of knowledge that comes out of that. That sort of slow and steady wins the race, which, which I believe in quite a bit. Are there any other ways that you've seen that goal setting examples that really help people sales propel? I wish I had this magic key, honestly, when you ask that, but I, I think it's not a key. I think it's a combination lock, honestly. I think there's a few things you have to do and they're fundamentals. And so it's writing your goals down. It's having a plan. It's getting up every morning to do those things. It's it's making one more call a day or, or something I do every single day. It's not making this big radical change where I feel like I have to do all this other stuff. It's just that little 
excuse me, 1%. I do one more little thing every day. I'm doing one small thing to, to, that's, that's different. Maybe I'm going to make one more call today and, and then I'll, I'll stop or I'll, I'm going to go drop in on somebody today that I probably was afraid to drop in on, but I'll do it anyway today. And I may not make a sale today, but if I do that five times in a week, 20 times in a month, you know what? One of them is going to come my direction. A couple of them are going to come my way. So I, I think it's just it's having the the confidence to try some little things that are a little creative to do something to get out of your comfort zone that are going to that help people to to hit their goals. And, and I think they've got to once you have a plan and stick to it and start fundamentally doing those basics. Anybody that I know, and I'm thinking of people that I've seen that, that have just been consistently good. They do they do the little things. They do the things that others don't want to do. And and it's writing goals down. It's looking at them. It's being disciplined to do those things. It's making a choice to go, you know what? I think I'm going to skip this today. I'm going to do this instead. It's those little things that I think the choices that you make. And and that's, to me, what makes a big difference for people that I see that, that tend to have success over those that don't. So, you know, we're, we're talking about salespeople and helping salespeople and sales teams set and, and reach their goals. But we're using a lot of fitness analogies. I'm going to use one more, which is, is there anything that you would advise specifically in say the first 30 days? And the fitness analogy is right. Like you and I both go to, go to gyms, right? What happens on January 1st, the gym's packed and everybody that's a regular at the gym makes the joke, right? Like what's going to happen by February 1st, things are back to normal again. Using that sort of same context, is there anything that you would say, you know, requires incremental focus, discipline in that first 30 days that'll really sort of make or break the tra trajectory? I think there's there's two pieces. One, I, I've heard the, the saying, you maybe heard this, the heaviest door, the heaviest weight at the gym is the door. So what I mean by that is just going in it and, and, and starting. So number one, whatever your goal is, get started doing it. Do the do an activity that's going to force you to, 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 to the things you need to be doing. So sometimes that involves breaking some habits. When you break anything, it hurts. So sometimes breaking habits is painful. But that means I'm going to start do, making some calls and doing that. Anytime there's fear involved, I, I think you have to kind of change that and go, all right, I'm going to go do this anyway. And, and I'm, going to, I'm going to go call on somebody. Or I'm going to ask a question when I'm in front of a customer that maybe makes me feel uncomfortable. When you start doing those things, you tend to get out of that fear doesn't own you anymore. Because the, you know, at the end of the day, the worst thing that can happen is they say no. Who cares? So they say no. And, and I move on. I didn't lose anything because I didn't have it anyway. So getting into the habits of, of going, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to start doing some small little activities that are going to, that, that maybe I've been afraid to do that have been holding me back. Are you wasting time, creative avoidance of doing things that, uh, the things that are actively moving the needle that are getting results? Am I doing results producing activities or am I doing get my manager off my back, look busy activities that really aren't, aren't creating any business? And so maybe it's, maybe I'm, I'm staying with existing customers that I work a lot with and they like me and I'm not calling on new business. Okay. Then I got to change that. And here's the thing, you know what they are, you know what those things are that you're doing. And so it's a matter of getting a piece of paper out and going, okay, start, stop, continue. I got to stop doing this. I got to stop doing that. And then I'm going to, I'm going to start working on these things. That's a good exercise. Cause all those, like you said, you do know what those things are, but you also do need to sit down and take some time to articulate them because all 17 things you should be doing or shouldn't be like, they're not going to come to mind at once, but that's why you've got to be able to articulate and put them on paper. Here's something I've tried to do every night, which has started really helping me. And I have it right here. I literally have one right here. There it is. I won't give you my, once you'll see all of them, but what has to happen tomorrow? That's what I, at, at the end of every day, if you'll simply get in the habit of here's what I need to do tomorrow, who's who I need to call on, here's who I need to, to what I follow up with. I need to do this. I need to do those things. And if you'll just make a list every night of what has to happen before I, before I leave the office today, I try to start making a list of things. 
something happens subliminally where a I sleep better. I don't have the scaries and wake up at, at two o'clock in the morning. So I've got because my my mind's kind of working on those things already for me. But I've already got a plan. And number two, when I come in the morning, I don't have to figure out what I'm doing today. I've I've already got it. And and we talked about goal clarity, releasing achievement drive. These are tasks, not goals. But just having them in a list where I can go through and mark them off, I'm more productive that way. And so that's a simple, practical thing you can do. Yeah, having those tasks in service of the goals. I do I do the exact same thing at the end of every day in my planner that's sitting right next to me. What what do I have to carry forward to the next day that I didn't get to or didn't complete? And or giving it thought to like what should I really put forward that's maybe a, a task one or two weeks from now versus tomorrow? So that you're not trying to do everything at once. And I can't tell you the number of times, Will, that I'm like, you know what, just do it right now before you go home. Just knock that out real quick. And and I go ahead and do it. And I've got two invoices I've got to do, or I've got whatever. Just do it right now. What are you waiting on? Knock it out and be done. And there's something that feels good about that when you go, all right, got it, done. I had that last uh, last Friday. There was a couple of things that had been hanging over my head that I was about to sort of put on the page for next Monday. And I said, no, I'm going to spend actually an hour. And I just did it. And it was it made my weekend better. It just did. 100%. It, it does. It's just a, uh, you know what? I'm 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 done with it. I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and get these things knocked out right now. Them and give them some guidance. What should sales managers be doing to help their teams both allocate the time that they need to to do proper proper planning at the end of the year, beginning of the new year, and goal setting, as well as support what their team comes up with, what the individual sales reps come up with. What's the advice that you give to sales leaders in that regard? Well, I, I think the the best thing we can do is hold our people accountable. And I think one of them is let's let's let them come to me with their plan and their goals. I, I want to write. I want to let them write them down. Number one. But here's where people miss it. We miss it because we don't hold them accountable to hitting the goal. And I think it's because we look at that as micromanagement. And what I'm what I what I've seen is it's the opposite. So I think what you have to do is let's say you and I are talking about a goal and you've got what what's most, most the most important thing you need to do. I need to focus on this. All right, well, let's just focus on that. How long? Well, I actually have an appointment next week with him. Okay, so you can get that done. All right. Well, let's set an, let's set a follow-up appointment for right after that. Let's let's get back and let's get some accountability. And sometimes I like to even ask, how would you like for me to hold you accountable? Well, that would do okay. So I'll follow up with you on that date. We'll get that done and then we'll look at the next thing. Now, what just happened is I know I'm going to come see you to talk about that goal or whatever that thing was. So I'm going to do it. Now, here's the thing. I was working with a team. This was several years ago. And one of the people on the team, he said, I was, I was uh, in the cube next to the lady that, that was doing the coaching sessions. And so the manager had come in, had a coaching session with this person that was next to him. And he was like, all right, what was that? And he said, well, we're starting to do these coaching sessions. And, he, and she said, he, she said, it was good. We have a goal that we got to hit. I got to do it. And, and we're going to get back together next week. And he's like, oh, okay, whatever. And he said, here's what I remember. The following week, she had done the things that she needed to do and hit her goal, and he didn't follow up with her. The manager didn't. And he said that she was so disappointed because she was ready to have that follow-up. And here's the thing. This is my language, not his. She was about to be the star of her show. She was going to get to tell the leader that she hit the goal and how she did it, and she was going to get some recognition. She wanted that praise. He didn't follow up with her, maybe because, I don't know this, but maybe because either he didn't have time or he didn't see the, the importance of that because he felt like it was micromanaging to hold people accountable. Therefore, didn't have the meeting. Complete opposite was what the what would have been. We have to stop looking as at, at accountability. And here, well, just think of it this way: think about somebody in your career, in your life as a manager, somebody that was either a teacher, maybe a parent, maybe held you accountable. In other words, they pushed you out of your comfort zone, maybe held you to a higher standard. Well, I don't remember a lot of those teachers and professors and, t- and coaches that I had in school that didn't do that for me. The ones that did and said, not, not worthy of your, you know, you need to do it, do it again. You need to do a better job of this, or they took it back. I remember them and respect them now for holding me accountable for doing those things. 
And when people do the things that they're asked to do, they want to tell you what those are. I think it's important that we hold people accountable and we see it as an opportunity to let them shine, not to look at it as an opportunity that we're micromanaging. I think that question is really good that more sales leaders can use, which is how would you like me to hold you accountable? That's a good conversation to have because probably the answer is going to be different for everybody. And I think you're also holding holding somebody accountable to helping them be accountable to the quality of the action and the goal, right? Not just sort of going through the motion. I think back to like when I was a kid, when my father would ask me to do a chore, his, his famous line was always, let me know when you think you're done. Meaning... I'll, I'll check for you and we'll review this together and we'll see if you've actually done this the way you should have, you know, whether it was washing the car or whatever it might have been, but that was always. That's right. That's a great, I love it. I love it. My, I, I, you make me think of, this is one that I use all the time, and, but my, my dad's line was, there's no traffic jam on the extra mile. It's a, listen, if you don't want to do it, then just think about why you're doing it because most aren't. So it's, you probably should. Mike, this has been really good and very insightful. And again, um, I think for people that are listening to this, whether it's toward the end of the year or as the new year gets underway, I think there's a lot um, that people can take from what we've covered today and, and what's easily one of the most critical areas for a salesperson to spend time on and take ownership of for things. So thanks very much again for being here. Well, I'll leave you on two things. One, be great where you are. Think about what you got people that are in these jobs and we're in different areas. We all want to get to the 15th floor. We all want to do all that stuff, and but you got to take the stairs to get there. And sometimes that sucks, honestly, and you have to embrace that. So be great where you are. If you're bringing coffee, bring the great coffee. I'm, I'm really good at doing that, whatever it is. Be sure you're good at where you are, number one. And number two, if you're setting goals, picture your car. Are you looking out of the windshield or are you looking in the rearview mirror? The rearview mirror is just a small part. And that's that we get focused sometimes on what we've done, not where we're going. Stop looking in the rearview mirror and let's focus on where we're going, not where we've been. That's a, that's a big thing as you start thinking about goals that we want to focus on. Don't look backwards. Let's, let's look forwards. As I mentioned earlier, I would highly encourage everybody, if you haven't yet, to hear other great insights that Mike Fisher has contributed to this podcast. Go to episode 24 from a year ago and also episode 12, which again, uh, still happens to be our most downloaded episode that we've ever done. You can also find Mike on LinkedIn as well as there's a lot of insights that he has shared to on our blog, which is integritysolutions.com slash blog. You'll find a lot of things that are authored by Mike Fisher. And for those of you listening, thank you again for making this first full year of mental selling so successful. And please follow, subscribe, tell a colleague, tell a friend or five. And please be sure to, as we always ask, leave us a rating, leave a comment so we can help make the show as impactful and, and relevant to all of you that are listening as possible. So Mike, thanks again for being here. Thanks to everybody for listening. And until next time, make it a great day and have a wonderful week and enjoy the holidays. and Happy New Year. You've been listening to Mental Selling, an Integrity Solutions podcast. Stay in touch with us by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player and following us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Please give us a rating, leave a comment and share episodes you love. That helps us keep empowering sales and service leaders to master the mental side of selling. Until next time, let's go out and create amazing customer experiences.